Last week, we started a new sermon series entitled Impossible God. Um, We live in a day when I think we all want some heroes, some people who can do the impossible, some people who can snatch victory from defeat, people who can see a problem that seems to have no answers and find a solution. Well, whether we find such humans around us at this time, the good news is we have an impossible God who can do that very thing. We looked last week at creation itself and just the amazing things that God did in creation, both in a sense of his genius in creating from nothing this amazing universe, planet, our bodies, nature, everything, down to molecules and atoms and the smallest subatomic particle. But also his a God of creativity, just in looking at all he's created and the variety and the beauty and just the amazing things that he's created. And the good news is that he's willing to bring that genius and creativity to our lives, our problems, the things we struggle with that seem impossible. Creation shows us that for him it's not. But last week as we looked at creation, there was one other aspect that it showed us about God that I said I wanted to wait a week to talk about, and that week is now here. And that is the power of God. Obviously, that's evident in creation. But the truth is, and we saw that in Jeremiah 32, 17 last week, nothing is too difficult for him. When we look at all that God has done, The conclusion is obvious. There is nothing too difficult for him. Well, I wanted to wait and look at a story this week that just shows us this power of God, that nothing is too big for him. And the story is really um, Israel's escape from Egypt. You know the story. Israel was trapped in Egypt. They were slaves, had been there for generations. They had no organization. They were no nation. They were no army. They were a bunch of runaway slaves, in a sense. And God had used his power to free them. He had sent ten plagues. And they had just grown and grown in severity until the final tenth plague. When the firstborn of every herd, every family in Egypt was struck down by the death angel, except for those homes that had the blood of the lamb spread on the doorpost. And as a result of that final tenth plague, Egypt begged Israel to leave. They're free to go. They even gave them their jewelry to say, please, just take this and and leave us. But that's not the end of the story. Because as Israel is leaving, Pharaoh has second thoughts. And uh, the story we want to look at today is really in Exodus 14. If you want to turn to your Bible in that, we're going to look at a couple different verses. But first, I want to look at verse 5. And here's what it says. When the king was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services, their labor. Pharaoh and his officials woke up. 
Because the truth was, Egypt was a slave economy. Their country couldn't work without slaves. And they had just turned their slaves loose. And so it was like they woke up and said, well, wait a minute, what are we going to do? Our houses can't function, our estates can't function, our businesses can't function, our agriculture can't function, our construction can't function without all these slaves. We've got to get them back. And the other thing you need to know, Egypt at this point is the mightiest nation on earth. And so here you have at least hundreds of thousands of slaves and the mightiest nation on earth says, we changed our mind. And the truth was, Israel was powerless. We're not sure how many Jews escaped from Egypt. The, the minimum number is hundreds of thousands. And there are estimates of some scholars as high as one or two million slaves. And they're trying to get away. They're runaway slaves. And now the mightiest army on earth is pursuing them. Basically saying, we changed our minds, we are going to recapture you, and we are going to take you back to slavery. In a very real sense, Israel faced a hopeless situation. There was nothing they could do to stop this, nothing they could do to fix this. They were powerless as much as we feel powerless today. Unless they had somebody who could save them. An impossible God who is not only a genius and creative, but all-powerful. And the wonderful thing about God, well, maybe it's wonderful, is that God is full of surprises. And the only reason I say maybe is that sometimes his surprises scare us to death. It's almost like God has to give us a disclaimer and say, now I got a new plan, but put on your seatbelt. Because we're going to take quite a ride, but trust me, I got this. And that's exactly what God did for Israel. If you turn back to the beginning of chapter 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp out. At Phi Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now, listen to what that says. We're trying to run away. We have the mightiest nation on earth coming behind us, and God says, Stop everything, go back. And then I want you to camp out with the sea at your back so there's no escape. And so Israel looks at that and says, this is the worst possible direction from God. I mean, we're toast, we're doomed, and God wants us to turn back and set up camp and wait for the Egyptians? To them, it was crazy. And there is a warning for us in that. We have a God who at times will ask us to do things that will seem to us to be crazy. His ways are not our ways, Isaiah 55. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But if we have an impossible God who is a genius 
is incredibly creative and is all-powerful, maybe listening to him is not a bad thing. In Exodus 14.10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites look up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. I can't imagine what it was like for the Israelites to look up and say, this is what God's gotten us into. Thousands upon thousands of Egyptian troops in ranks with spears or swords or shields or whatever, and rows upon rows of war chariots, and they're all heading for this mob of people who are just escaped slaves. Pretty terrifying. But the truth is God specializes in the impossible, and Moses had learned that about God. Ever since there was a time in Sinai when God said, Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt. And then there were the plagues and there was his staff that could become a snake. He had learned that God can do the impossible. So in verse 13, this is what Moses says to the people. Don't be afraid. I know this sounds crazy. I know God has told us to turn back. I know he's put us here in a perfect trap for the Egyptians to kill us. But don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. An impossible situation, a hopeless situation to us, is neither hopeless nor impossible to our impossible God. And God, God sort of, I think, uses a little bit of his humor. If you jump down to the 15 and 16. So the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Why are you standing here? Get moving. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. The way I read that, God basically says to Moses, what are you guys waiting here for? Get, get going. Walk right through the sea. And he tells him how that'll happen. And we know the story. Moses' rod, his hand, as he raised his staff, the sea does part by God's power. The bottom of the sea becomes dry land so they can walk without it being mud or they're trapped or anything like that. They are able to go across. If you read all of, of Exodus 14, the army of Egypt starts to get a little too close, and there is suddenly in front of them a wall of smoke and fire, of cloud and fire. They can't get through. God's not going to let them hurt Israel. And he finally does let the Egyptian army pursue these slaves that they want back. And, of course, we know that as the army gets into the middle of the Red Sea, the water comes back and drowns them all. And this amazing plan of God begins to unfold, so Israel gets it. By going back, they lured on the Egyptian army. And then this impossible situation, trapped with the sea at their back, God takes care of that and splits the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground. 
And that same split Red Sea becomes a trap for the Egyptian army. And they're wiped out. Now I want you to think about that. Because as I was preparing for this sermon, one of the things that struck me, had God not worked in this way, had Israel kept moving, had they gotten around the Red Sea and got out into the Sinai Peninsula, there was nothing to keep the Egyptian army from pursuing them. And sooner or later, they would have caught Israel out in the middle of the desert with nothing to defend themselves. They would have never been at peace. They would have never been safe. And so God asked them to do this impossible thing. Go back, wait for the army that you can't defeat. Put your back to the sea so it looks hopeless. And just let me take care of this in my genius, creative power. And he does. And after that day, Israel never worries about Egypt again. Because God wipes out the power of the mightiest nation on earth to defend his ragtag bunch of slaves. Because God is a genius, he is creative, and he's all-powerful. And he showed that in creation, and he showed that in Israel at the Red Sea. There's two lessons I'd like us to draw for our lives today as we face this pandemic, as we live in very uncertain times. One of the lessons is that God probably won't answer all of our prayers and do exactly what we want him to do. And we need to be prepared for that. Because again, Satan will use that to tempt us, to set a trap for us. He'll whisper in our ear and say, God doesn't care. God doesn't listen to your prayers. Obviously, God's not doing the right thing. He makes us doubt God's love for us. He makes us doubt God's power. He makes us doubt God's genius. He makes us doubt God. And he, le he wants us to feel alone. But we need to see how our God works in this story. He's going to ask us to turn around when we want to go forward. He's going to ask us to stand in a position that we say, this is a trap, this is not smart. And God's going to say, trust me. I got this. And when it's all over, like Moses says, you're never going to have to worry about this Egyptian army again after today. But we need to trust God. To trust His love. God gave Israel a greater miracle by asking them to do what their logic told them, don't do this. But that's because God's a genius. And his ideas we would never come up with, but he does. And he gave them a greater miracle. And we need to trust God for that. We need to keep praying. We need to keep listening. But we also need to realize at times the answer from God may be to ask us to stay in this position. Or to go over here and do this. Because he has something greater planned. We need to trust Him, trust His wisdom. And the second lesson for us in this story is, of course, about God's power. Nothing is impossible for Him. Can He bring good from the coronavirus? You bet He can. He already is. We're seeing that happen in individual lives. 
in families checking their priorities, in new opportunities that are coming to people because they're being pushed out of another situation. We're seeing God do that. Can he use the economic problems that are here and are coming? Of course he can. He is an impossible God. And what we can hold on to, what we must hold on to, with our faith, our commitment to trust him when we don't understand, is that we hold on to his power and his love. With both of those, we can find peace. We've talked about his power. He can handle this. He can handle anything. There is nothing too difficult for our God. But power alone won't bring peace. It's the second thing that we have, and that's God's love. God has shown us again and again, more than anything else, in Christ's death for us, how much he loves us. And that is an unbeatable combination. When we have a God who is all-powerful, for whom nothing is impossible, and he loves us with a deep love that we can't earn and we don't have to earn, we'll never be good enough to deserve his love, but we know he loves us. And when you have a God who is all-powerful and has this deep abiding love for us, that's what allows us to move forward in this uncertain time. I noticed something, and I've mentioned this before in a sermon, not too many months ago. If you're looking for joy and rejoicing in the Bible, it's always stated, rejoice in the Lord. Find your strength in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. It's never rejoice in your circumstances. Because people in the Bible often faced impossible circumstances too. But in the Lord, they could rejoice. And the good news is, so can we. We can rejoice in the Lord who is all-powerful and who loves us with a never, an everlasting love. I hope you find that peace and joy this week in these circumstances as we face these tough times. We have an impossible God and that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being an impossible God for whom nothing is too difficult. And in your genius creativity, you bring victory from defeat. You change impossible, hopeless situations and bring good from them. Help us trust your heart and your hands, your love and your power. And in you may we find our peace and our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.